I am obsessed with gut health and I have been for a very long time. And I'm obsessed with this, with the gut brain axis and the link between all of that. Modern medicine has done a lot for mankind. But the one thing we've all been reminded of since the pandemic began is how much there is that we don't know about the human body. When I'm happy, I eat. When I'm anxious or worried, I'm just not a comfort eater. What if a lot of the answers we seek already exist within each of us? I quit wine two years ago and I've never gone back on wine because again, the gut thing, wine really just makes my stomach very unhappy. And what they are discovering might explain that gut feeling that we all have from time to time. Hello everybody and you're welcome back to That Gut Feeling. My name is Jonathan Healy. I am the presenter of this series sponsored by Alflorex. We are trying to answer important questions about gut health, how you can look after it and the impact that it can have on how you live your life. Across this series, we're going to hear from leading Irish and international experts on growing awareness of gut health. And for this episode, I'm going to focus on stress and the impact that are always on digital lives can add to that. One person who knows what it can be like and who's here with lots of digital detox tips is broadcaster and writer Maya Dunphy. Maya, you're very welcome to That Good Feeling. How are you? Jonathan, thanks for having me. I love that you've gone from international experts to people who know about stress, and that's me. It's like, oh, am I an expert on something? I don't want to be an expert on stress. Nobody wants to be. You've had people like Luke O'Neill on. I want to be an expert on something better than stress, Jonathan. Come on. Yes, but we, we, we have been living through a very mild period of stress. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. How has your pandemic been, Maya? Pa- pandemic? I hardly noticed. <laughs> um, oh, I know. You know what the odd thing is? I would have, you know, as I've said before in my, my documentary work and my writing, I would always have, I've tried to be very honest. I would always have been a worrier um, in life. I think sometimes you have to accept the kind of person you are. And I've sort of embraced the fact that I am a worrier. But in actual fact, the older I get, you know, the less aware I've actually become. I've, I've learned far, I've learned how to manage my stress far better. And the funny thing about the pandemic is, um, you know, and this sounds like an awful cliche, but it has brought a huge amount of perspective to my life, which is a which is a good thing. I think before that, I would I would have been a bit of a loner. I would have embraced the fact that I liked my own company and I was happy in my own company. I thought it was a very good thing. But then I realized that when that option to see people is taken away from you, you realize that maybe you're not as much of a loner as you might have first thought. And that's I've realized over the last 18 months, and God, maybe coming up to two years now, that um I I, I do miss people's company. You know, it's a uh, so how has the pandemic been for me? Um, again, it does a sort of sliding scale. I've had a lot of family health issues. Um, I'm a single parent, you know, the school's closed. I have had a huge amount on my plate. And when I start to break it down, I think, God, it has been an enormously difficult 18 months. But, you know, I'm keeping my head above water. I'm doing okay. So all in all, um, you know, it's been, <laughs> it's been awful, but we've come through it. Yeah, and, and I suppose that's the that's the only way we can deal with this, isn't it? That we've we've gotten out the far side relatively unscathed, and I mean that in 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 the nicest possible way. That uh, you know we've we've done our pandemic, and we've lost people, and we know that, and we know people have gotten very sick. But everybody kind of retreats back to themselves at the end of the day and says, "Well, how did I do?" Um, and and yet here we are, you and I having a chat. Yeah, I think it's. Um... It's made people, I don't know, it's, it's made some people far more self-aware. Other people, 
uh, far less self-aware and that's something I've realized now and I've tried to I guess sort of mitigate my own behavior as well because you know life is relative and you know for some people sometimes I feel almost myself getting angry when I'm talking to somebody who's whose income hasn't changed who maybe themselves and their partners were working were working from home with kids and homeschooling might have been difficult but in the grand scheme of things they're coming out and they're saying oh we're thinking we might move house now because we've saved so much money and we might go on holidays and I work um you know in the entertainment sector and it has been very it's been hit very hard and you know it certainly hit me hard but it's hit some of my friends far harder so I you know I'm very aware that there is a kind of sliding scale of how this has affected people and um, on a more personal level you know I have said it publicly my mum has gone through cancer treatment this year and um, my dad is not well at the moment and those things really bring that bit of perspective back that the other things just don't matter as much you know that's mm. what it comes down to for me all of that must have just added to the stress because life didn't stop just because there was a pandemic on other things happened in all of our lives yeah you know, that's they- exactly it john i think i think about up until about six months ago i felt like the pandemic had just pressed pause on life and i was more focused on the work i was missing out on the travel i was missing out on the schooling my son was missing out on but then things start to happen and you realize it hasn't pressed pause on any of the bad stuff in life you know the bad stuff in life is still going on and that was that's been a bit of a rude awakening for me i know other people would have realized it far sooner but yeah you know we haven't pressed pause all the crap stuff is still happening <laughs> yes and will continue for the rest of our lives unfortunately <laughs> yeah. such as, such is the nature of life how did you try and unplug from that Maya because you know we all I I became obsessed with baking as I've talked about in an earlier podcast Uh, walking um, I I rediscovered the joy of using the two things that God gave me at the bottom of my legs uh, to get around but then I found myself getting really stressed if I didn't go for a walk or if I didn't bake. Um, you know, I, I st- stress is like a proverbial game of whack-a-mole. You're just trying to stay ahead of it. So what did Maya Dumphy do when when life started to encroach upon her? You know, for a second there, I thought we were going to be really good friends. But no, you went down. You became one of those baking people. No, I didn't. Ju- the, not the sourdough kind of people. I didn't like them. They were terrible. Creatures. Oh, yeah. Backtrack, backtrack. Because I, I did early on. I remember. And I put it up on social media. And people were saying, aren't you great? And it was a huge, big A1 piece of paper. And had, it had, uh, it said lockdown adventures and all the things we were going to do. And that's when I thought it was going to be six to eight weeks in March 2020. <laughs> and then about three months later, it was torn down. And I think that the motto that I've lived my life by for the last couple of years, Jonathan, is choose your battles. And never more was that, was that more applicable in the last couple of years. And I, you know, I... I did, I started out doing sourdough. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the queen of arts and crafts. Um, so my son and I were doing bottle rockets on the roof. You Actually, do, yes, your science experiments were stunning. Uh, stunningly oh. bad at the start, because you got better at them. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it was the one where the rocket just failed to take off and <laughs> fell over was my favourite. There's as somebody who worked in adult telly for, for many years. There's so many jokes you could make about that first um, <laughs> false start. But, was great. but we, got, we got a tweet from NASA. Over that one. Did you know that? Telling you how bad your rock was? Or? No, that, no, it's been very encouraging. Encourage us to keep going because it kind of went viral. I think we got, like, it was definitely like a couple hundred thousand views very quickly. And suddenly we got this message. I have it screenshot because Tom was like, I don't know who NSNA is. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're good people. We like yeah. them. So when he gets older, he'll realize he, what a big deal that was. So we did science experiments. We did our bottle rockets, volcanoes. We did baking. We did 
I mean, I was, what really bugged me, Jonathan, was I got a bit of head tilting for people saying, oh, how do you cope living in an apartment with a child? As if it was this, you know, opening the sick seal of hell. I don't know what kind of 1980s hideous flat people think I'm living in, but, you know, there are people who, yes, I'd love to have a big house and a big garden, but I live very close to the city centre. So Marion Square was our back garden. There was, you know, this, the beach is only 10 minutes walk away. There were still some things open. So actually, I'm quite an urban person. So we had the beach, we had the city. So we, yeah, again, you, you went out for a walk as well, the same as myself. You just happened to go to Marion Square, whereas I just kind of wandered around the North Cork countryside. The North Cork countryside is very, very beautiful. But I, and also I'm like, I'm, walking has always been my thing. Like I'm not a sporty person, I was never a gym bunny, but walking was, so every single day, no matter regards of the weather, we would put on our trainers and Tom, my little boy and I, like we would, we would head out and go and get some fresh air. And that kind of kept me sane, um, you know, because I love cooking. I lost, I lost interest in cooking. I lost interest in baking. All that stuff sort of fell by the wayside. But there were certain things that, you know, our little experiments, our arts and crafts, our reading, um, you know, I, at the start, I thought I'm going to be one of those people who comes out of lockdown having finished a novel. Never happened. Never happened. I know. I know. And like did you say, even start the novel though? Really? I did actually. Yeah. Did you? Yes. Yes. And it's a novel that people are interested in. Like, yeah. I'll get Is it, it about a mother of one in a Dublin apartment during a global pandemic? Because I mean, I'd read that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a rather dark children's novel, actually. That I was worried might be too dark, but um, apparently not. But we'll see. I will. I will get back to it. What about your phone? Because uh, you're Dibble for it, aren't you? You love that phone. It's always in your hand. <gasps> Dibble for the phone. I'll tell you what, I am not, we're talking about digital detoxing. I am not going to like evangelize or pontificate or lecture anybody on digital detoxing because um, going back to choosing your battles, there have been times when I have just plunked my son in front of an iPad and said, here's YouTube, which goes from cartoon to cartoon to cartoon and just left him there probably for too long. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing if you, go, if you need to get something done. I do love my phone. Am I addicted to my phone? Categorically, I can say, no, I am not. That's um, nonsense. We're all addicted to our phones, unless you yeah. are a, a hermit who puts your phone down religiously for a couple of hours. We're addicted. We keep checking. I mean, I, I'm getting anxiety not checking my phone in the few minutes I've been speaking to you. Really? Well, then you are definitely worse than me. Now, the one thing, I mean, I'm... I'm very aware of the example I'm setting my son. So like, I don't have my phone at the table when we're eating at all. Uh, like we go to the cinema as much as possible. I'm cinema mad. When the cinemas reopened, we were straight back into the cinema. And there was one point a few weeks ago where I had my phone out just to check an email because the movie was terrible. Yeah. Thank you, Boss Baby 2. Um, oh, no, I haven't seen it yet. You're telling me not to. Uh well, yeah, it, it wasn't dark cup of tea, but anyway, still, everything is worth seeing in it's my very, mind. Everything it's a very polite Irish way of saying it was shite. But I went, yeah, I went to check my phone and Tom went, put that away, mommy, put that away. And when he mentions me and my phone or a computer, then I feel bad. But no, I'm actually, I've got better at things like not bringing it to bed with me. I don't check my phone before I go to bed anymore. Um, that's a total lie. I'm just lying to you now. <laughs> I'm brilliant because we have you on video. I could see your eyes were lying. The eyes do not lie. <laughs> Is it when you glance it, left or those things? Yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to, I'm trying, now that we have the things, the, the, the sort of digital timekeepers where you can, you can pop up and say, you've now been on Twitter for an hour. And I go, okay, that's enough. So I, I, there, there are people who are far worse than me, put it that way. Um, we were talking to Laura, the fabulous pharmacist, uh, on our last episode, Laura Dowling, and uh, we had a good yes, laugh at her brilliant. average screen time. 
which was pretty awful. What when your little app tells you how much time you've spent on screen, what does it tell you, Maya? Um, it basically the phone actually starts crying. <laughs> please, for God's sake, get some fresh air, eat something. Do, do you not argue with the phone? Hang on, I'm not addicted to you. I don't know where you're getting these statistics. No, I tried to. I think my screen time was about. Uh, and I'm not joking about an hour and 45 minutes. That's, that's not really, bad. That's not bad. That's and not that's bad. I think across, mine, that's mine, Instagram, mine, Twitter, that's across the board. Mine was about four hours the, really? the last time I checked. Yeah, which means I'm definitely worse than you. God, 100%. But yeah. I think also bear in mind, and I'm not constantly playing the single parent card, but when you don't have anyone else to give you a hand at home, you just simply can't sit there on your phone all the time. Like when my son comes home from school, we do a little bit of homework. We normally like we crack out the Lego or we do. We always have some project on the go. And I'm not saying I'm the best in the world, but I genuinely love hanging out with them. We have a lot in common and he's a great man for for building and making things and doing all that. And then when I'm making his dinner, he sticks the iPad or the TV on. He watches cartoons. Um, I tend to have the 6-1 news on on my phone in the kitchen just to get headlines, like not too much. That was the other thing about lockdown. Do you remember the start of lockdown? The 6-1 News opened every single day with the deaths and the numbers. Mm. And eventually they stopped doing that. That really started dragging me down. I had to stop listening to that. We better go on to the gut bit, right? Because we we talked about stress uh, and we've learned in previous episodes how stress can have an impact on your gut. And it explains butterflies in your stomach, that theory. But when we are stressed, we tend to eat and drink the wrong things that actually ends up making us more stressed because it upsets how our microbiome, which connects the whole lot, uh, is, is affected. As the stress hit us all during the pandemic, we all started doing terrible things uh, like sourdough bread making, but also probably consuming too much sourdough bread, which you might not have done beforehand. What, what did you do that was different? And did you notice your diet changing because you were under pressure? I did. I am, I am obsessed with gut health and I have been for a very long time. Um, and I'm obsessed with this, with the gut brain axis and the link between all of that. Um, and as somebody who was told I had, I, I had IBS in my teens, I was like, what is that? Um, you know, so I'm very, very aware of it. I'm not a comfort eater. It's, I think I'm probably the only person who got through the pandemic without putting on weight. <laughs> um, and that's, that wasn't a deliberate thing. I'm just not, a, I, when I'm happy, I eat. When I'm anxious or worried, I'm just not a comfort eater. I lost interest in cooking, which is not a good sign for me. So there were things I did because there was, you know, I tended to be, my son and I don't eat the same food, unfortunately, which breaks my heart. He's a fussy eater. So there were things I did, like I would buy pre-prepared food. I would buy kind of, when I say ready meals, I'm lucky there's places around me that do really lovely home-cooked meals. Kind of posh, but, posh ready meals, not like your frozen stuff. No, posh ones, yeah. So I did yeah. a bit of that. Um, I drank too much. You see, I knew it was coming. I knew, um, I, I knew that you were getting away with the, I didn't eat unhealthily, but you had yeah. to fall for the other No, yeah, but when I say I drank too much, I, well, I quit wine two years ago and I've never gone back on wine. Because again, the gut thing, wine really just makes my stomach very unhappy. And I, I, I couldn't work out why. A doctor said to me, look, it might be a sulfite thing. And especially if you have IBS, I was like, don't tell me I have to give up wine. I couldn't possibly get one. And I did. And you know, if something is making you feel bad, if you give it up, it takes a bit of time. It's a bit like smoking or anything else like that. And you give it up. And you realize, actually, I had one glass of wine about a year ago and it made me feel crap. So I was like, why would I go back to doing that? 
But so luckily, did, I still I, have beer and spirits. I was just going to say, in the absence of wine, what did you consume? Like, did, were you, did yeah. you become one of these people who stands in the off license at the supermarket, staring at all the fancy labels, going, "I wonder which one will I try tonight while I drink my eight cans of Heineken?" Or were you a more discerning, a discerning drinker? Well, again, I'm very mindful of drinking at home on my own because I have a little boy and I will never, ever be, I would never be drunk home alone with him. I simply wouldn't. When I say I drank too much, I mean, I was doing that, that thing that people do. So maybe like, I didn't comfort eat, but maybe I comfort drank to an extent that from about lunchtime Sundays, I was thinking, oh, six o'clock, I've got one of those lovely big Spanish fishbowl glasses for um, vodka and tonics and gin and tonics. So like, oh, and you're planning that drink? from lunchtime now I've, people have said to me if you're only having one it's not a huge problem but the point is it was every single day I was planning from lunchtime going oh, thinking about the ice in the glass and pouring the spirit over putting the mixer in, putting that slice of lime and if, in. if you didn't get that right if you if you if you took your day off your gin um would that have impacted your mood do you think because you oh, I, 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 I'd go and put someone's windows in do you know what I mean like <laughs> slashing car tires <laughs> upturning tables i can no, see well, you doing it well I here's the thing it. i just didn't i i didn't stop um, so every day i would look forward to my lovely big um like vulcan tonic or vulcan diet coke whatever it might have been um and then i thought oh god is is it probably 10 units a week then because they're quite strong measures should i be doing and actually a lot of people say this to me sometimes you need to just almost stop doing it to prove to yourself that you can um so then I started to just go out and buy things like ginger ale and put that into the glass with the ice and just leave the alcohol out. So I was still fixing that drink. And I realized, actually, it was a habit that I'd got into of rewarding myself with something like that. I thought, you know what? And people say, oh, reward yourself with a bath or with a movie. Again, I don't I can't sit and close the door and have a bath on my own because I have a little boy. So I started saying, right, from Monday to Wednesday, I will have something in that lovely big glass with the ice and lime and all of that. I'm not for going full cocktail umbrellas just yet, but um but it won't be alcohol so i did and i just psychologically i felt better doing that so mm. yeah those little things sometimes it's just about breaking a habit even for your own sake even if it wasn't too much i mean i have friends who are drinking a bottle of wine a night saying you have one drink a night that's not a problem yeah but and for that's me, a, it was the habit of just not of never having a break from it and these are bad habits that were made worse because we were under pressure uh, and, and we were all under stress did the ibs thing the fact that you had been watching your diet and you knew what well, that's going to be bad. For me. I'm going to feel that. And I know that's going to impact my gut if I eat that or drink that. Did that help you make better decisions? I know you said that you went out and you got your fancy dinners, but you were still picking the things you knew you could eat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anyone with IBS will know that it's simply not worth having the things that you know are going to make you bad, make, make you feel awful. And I remember like, gosh, we're going back. I was in my teens. You're talking like 30 years ago, believe it or not. And <laughs> um, don't laugh so heartily at that. Sorry, I, I was thinking she's talking about her early teens. Clearly she just turned 13. Do That's... nice say. Um, but my family GP at the time, um, this is the nineties. Like she said, cause I, I mean, I was in chronic pain a lot of the time. And she said, um, well, she said, you know, they, and they rule out the more sin. They rule out celiac disease. They rule out more sinister things. And then she said, when we rule out these sinister things, what we say you have now is IBS. I had never heard of IBS back then. Nobody else had. Um, and she said, the one thing I will say to you, she said, this is new to me as well. But she said, the one thing I'll say to you is I have never come across anyone with IBS who isn't also a stressed person. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, but it really did take me, gosh, the guts of 25 years to kind of master 
to, to get my head around the whole thing because there were still times you'd go out and you'd have you'd have a food that you had eaten before but it would suddenly make you feel bloated and sick and very unwell um and then ibs it's a bit of a catch-all term there's so many different permutations and combinations that there are people who i remember meeting women who i when I, I did a small thing on it um and there was a woman who said to me she would not go on a plane because her problem with IBS was that she had to be near a toilet all the time that was never my issue my issue was just incredibly bad cramping but so bad that if you were out somewhere you couldn't concentrate you couldn't listen to somebody you couldn't relax so you just, you just have to go home and through a combination of um, trial and error and things like um, coincidentally Alflorex which sponsors this podcast I mean I cannot be without Alflorex now and I'm not paid to say that but um, you know, I spent years trying different probiotics and prebiotics and cutting out food groups. Um, so and that's why there's things like now people talk about doing juice fasts and different. Tra- I'm a, I eat very traditionally. I have my diet's quite high in carbohydrates. I have a lot of friends now who would do juice fast and keto. I can't subscribe to that stuff. I have to eat almost quite traditional sort of Mediterranean and mm. classic Irish diet combined. Can I ask, did you fall out with your gut? Right. When you found out that you had IBS, did you get cross with your stomach that it didn't want to allow you to do the things that you wanted to do? Because that was a lot to carry as a teenager. Yeah. And the irony was I was very hard on myself and my teens and I would not have coped well with you talk about digital detox as a teenager. Now, I would not have coped well. And I was I went through a few years of being obsessive about my diet and I remember going to the cinema with a friend and they were buying uh, popcorn and sweets and I bought an apple to the cinema with me. How sad wow. is that? that and is it turns sad. out apple is one of the things that I can't eat. Like I eat very little fruit. So I can't have, I can't have things like raw onion. I, I don't, apart from bananas, I eat virtually no fruit. So on paper, people think, God, you know, you must be the opposite of a healthy person. I'm not, I'm very healthy. And that's the thing about diet and gut. You have to find what suits you. And if the world is doing a juice diet, if you have IBS or a certain kind of stomach, that's going to make you really unwell. So, you know, just I, I would have to avoid those things. But did I get cross with my gut? Occasionally, sometimes, you know, in my early 20s doing the year in Australia and you're off on a, you know, a cheap student boat trip and everyone's drinking beer and knocking back platters of, of, of uh, fruit and eating like cheap pizza. And I thought that's and sometimes you would just join in. And then the next thing you'd be literally curled up on a ball in agony and it's simply yeah. not worth it. But yeah, I mean. I'm not saying I didn't, I didn't uh, make the wrong choices, but. <laughs> but you learned from them. I did. <laughs> but is it a while, though. It, but yeah, but it, that's human nature, isn't it? I mean, is it something that people are still uncomfortable talking about? It, it's like, you know, we, we don't necessarily tell uh, anyone about our guts or our bowels or whatever, unless we're in the closed confines of a doctor's room. Is there a problem? Do you think there's a lot of people out there who they're eating bad and their mood is suffering or they might have undiagnosed IBS or they may be at a weight that they can't explain why they are where they are, but they haven't tried really looking at the diet in any meaningful way. Is there a lot of that out there because people are afraid to talk about it, Maya? I think I, I think the stigma around things like IBS, I, I would hope that's gone a little bit. And I think the not even the next generation, kind of two generations after me are far more open to talking about their health and to talking about every element of their health, you know, mental health, physical health. Um, I think when it comes to that connect, I think there's still a lot of people who don't make the connection between what they eat and how they feel. And again, like Jonathan, I am not going to pontificate or lecture anyone about that because, you know, last night I had pizza and beer and felt a bit bloated going to bed, but I loved every mouthful of it. And I'm certainly not 
evangelical about food. I love food. I just love food and I love eating. I love going out to eat. I love cooking for people. But there are a lot of people who will. But I still make the connection between how I feel and what I eat. But I'm not, you know, I'm not a vegan. I'm not super healthy. I let myself eat whatever I want. But I tend to gravitate towards healthier food choices simply because I know they'll make me feel better. And my sister, my lovely sister, and she won't mind me saying this, um, she put on, she put it up on Instagram, she put on a lot of weight over the pandemic and it made her really unhappy. Yeah. And in July of this year, she started, and she'd be very different to me. I'm quite disciplined. If I decide to stop doing something, I can just stop doing it like that. Whereas she needs more structure. And she started doing a specific diet and she's now lost um, over three stone. She wow. looks amazing. Um, and I can see in already, she said, no, it's about actually retraining yourself to make choices that are going to make you feel better. So it doesn't mean she'll never go out again and maybe drink a bit too much and have that pizza. But you're not going to do it every day because, you know, longer term, it's going to make you feel awful. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I spoke before about I lost two stone uh, over the Did course you? of a year because I literally stopped putting the wrong kind of food into my mouth. Yeah. Um, I, I always refer to fat Johnny uh, as, as an internalized fat lad who is desperately trying to get out. And occasionally he does. And he will have the beers and he will have the unhealthy food and particularly on holidays and stuff. And he'll gorge. God, in fact, Johnny loves a holiday. But then I'll feel terrible after it. And I worked out afterwards. I thought I'd feel terrible because I wasn't eating the pizzas and having the beers. But it was the pizzas and the beers that were making me feel miserable. Yeah. And it's funny, my sister said the same to me. She said, God, you you because I, I always say I eat whatever I like and I mean that I'm not saying it as one of those people who pretends they haven't studied for exam they've done as a seminar I whatever I like and I secretly just sit there eating carrot sticks I do eat whatever I like but my sister said to me she said you don't realize my when, when we go to a restaurant even as a family she said I will my eye will will, will just be drawn towards the bad food and mm. mine will too but I will I just then I gravitate towards the healthier option and psychologically I just know I'll feel better afterwards don't like that doesn't mean I don't occasionally have the big dessert and have, you know, and I eat chips. There's nothing I don't eat at all. But I do. I realize now that I do gravitate towards healthier yeah. choices. You make me feel really bad about a cheesecake I had for lunch right now. So we're going to move on. Um, you talked about uh, your son, Tom. Um, yes. and, and to be fair, he features a lot in your Instagram feed with, with the failed bottle rockets uh, that NASA uh, took pity on. Listen, 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 listen. Our fourth attempt <laughs> went was, was stellar. In every sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. We nailed still, it. We nailed it. They're trying to find it. It's still in orbit, I believe. <laughs> but um, you talked about something that that from a parenting perspective, I can really equate with. And that's fussy eating um, oh, and no. constant parental anxiety over what kids are eating. I've got three kids. They have three different diets, three different, like some will like this and some won't like that. It's getting easier as time goes on. But, you know, there there, there is a lot of it out there. How much of an issue is it for you in terms of oh. trying to convince him to eat healthily? Because you know what the far side looks like. Yeah, Jonathan, here's the thing, right? The one thing, when I was pregnant, I didn't read a single book. I, I hadn't, like, not that I didn't want to have kids. I, I'd never actively planned children. Other things just kept coming along. And then my husband said to me when I he was, you are 39 now. I was like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. So anyway, I had my son. I got pregnant very easily. I, I had no issues with pregnancy. I didn't read a single book. I think I just had the blinkers on because I was nervous about it. And the one thing when he was born and that, that, that sort of, it's so discombobulating with first time motherhood, whether you're 21 or 41, having your first baby, um, you know, it is a roller coaster. But the one thing I was so sure I would nail was food because 
I understand food. I love cooking. I'm not being arrogant. I'm a relatively good cook. And I thought he is going to be the child who just gets everything. And he ate everything till he was about two. And then suddenly something happened and he went, no, 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 no. And I'm not going to lie. We have fish fingers and waffles some nights. We have all that beige food. But the one thing I've learned is he's a very sensitive boy. The biggest, the, the worst thing you can do is to make an issue of it. Yeah. And so, Don't make you know a what? Dance. like, right, again, I'm getting back to, the, to my mantra of choose your battles because, you know, he, he is fine. He has, I'm worried about food fatigue. He eats the same probably five dishes all the time. That's not the end of the world. He is fine. And, you know, so I, I, I've stopped worrying about it. I've stopped worrying about it. And occasionally the pandemic made it easier because you're not going to someone's house. They're going, oh, we're doing a chicken curry. Like all the kids can have that. And my son going, I'm not putting that near my mouth. And he's saying, can you just give me some bread and butter for him? Um, I don't apologize for it to anybody. It's no one's business. We deal with it ourselves. It's not ideal. But then I meet other kids who are far worse than him. And like I said, the worst thing you can do around food is make an issue of it. So what I try and do now is I try and introduce different things, one thing every week. And if he says no and he gets upset by it, I go, fine, fine. Don't worry about it. And, you know, he's healthy. He's actually healthier than a lot of other kids. You know, he's um, he's he's fine and he will be fine. And I'm just not going to stress about it. Stress is a killer, isn't it? In every sense. That yes, it, 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 it inveigles its way into all our lives because you talk about the stress of that. We talk about the stress of the pandemic. You talk about the stress of the bottle rocket not going off the first time. <laughs> um, ultimately, isn't stress part of all of our lives? It's just about managing it in the same way that we manage getting up in the morning and putting our, 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 our underwear on first. Of course it is. Of course it is. And, you know, I think we're so obsessed with the idea of stress now. And again, this... I, anxiety is a word that's bandied about a lot and you know anxiety is actually quite a serious thing and I think um you know people use these terms to describe to to describe very simple aspects of life that really are just things we have to accept now of course there are people for whom anxiety and stress are genuinely debilitating but of course it's a part of life and anyone who says they never feel any stress they must either be perpetually drunk or lying because I don't understand how, how that's possible at all. But again, we have to just keep reminding ourselves that life is relative and that it's, it's when stress starts to take over. If stress is keeping you awake, if stress is stopping you eating, if stress is making you eat too much, then you need to stop and go, OK, well, what can I do to try and redress the balance here? But other than that, you know, stress is what makes me um, do my work a little better. You know, stress is what makes me go, right, okay, I have that deadline for that script by Friday. I've got to get it done. You know, a little bit of stress is a very good thing. Otherwise, well, I'd get nothing done without a certain amount of stress in my life. But I kind of, I feel now that I have um, a better, certainly a better handle on it. I think maybe it comes with age as well. You know, it's age and perspective. Well, you're, you're, and I mean, you're, you're, you're in your late 20s from what you were telling us earlier <laughs> on, based on your previous is, I'm in my mid-40s and I love it. And I'm one of those women who loved turning 40. I hated being young. When I was in my late 20s, I looked really, I looked like a baby and nobody ever took me seriously. And I just wanted to be taken seriously. And I wasn't, I turned about 40. Now I'm still, I'm not a serious person at all, but I am one of those people who honestly just, and also I'm not one of those women whose currency was ever beauty. And I feel for, and I've worked with a lot of women who are models and they, you know, their face, their, their face was it for them. So they thought, yeah. and for women whose currency was or is beauty, getting older is really, really hard. When your currency is not beauty like me, it's a lot easier. Um, you know, sorry to all the attractive women out there. But, uh, 
I'm sure they'll muddle through. If it's any consolation, we're roughly the same vintage. Um, and uh, I went into Tesco to buy a bottle of whiskey the other day that wasn't for me, for the record. But I went in and I went yeah, up nice the counter. Again. Yeah, yeah. And I went up to the counter and the woman, because they changed the policy, turned around to me and says, do you have ID? And I nearly buckled with laughter um, because A, I didn't because I don't carry ID anymore because I just carried my phone. And I just said, Puff, I've got grey hair. I'm probably OK. <laughs> and she laughed in return and just let me carry on. But it, be, being asked for ID in your 40s is not something you get you get very often, is it? I was I, I was asked for ID up till about 38 and then I had my son and then everything caught up with me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I always, I always did look very young because I have really small features. I mean, you have that lovely puppy fat of you, but I've lost all that now. So now I find, I do finally look my age now, but I have no issue with it. And you know what's great? We are starting to finally see older women represented in advertising, not nearly enough, but I think that's the issue that, you know, you'll see an ad for a watch and it's this lovely man who's clearly in his late fifties or even is being aged up with the, uh, the sexy arm and shot with the fancy watch and the salt and pepper hair. But then there's, there was no equivalent for women. It was still a woman advertising anti-wrinkle cream. You go, but she's 25. Why is she advertising anti-wrinkle cream? <laughs> and that is starting to change. That's um, because I do, the, the 45s are living with it. The 25s are terrified of it. It's a basic advertising. But look, here's the thing. There's only one alternative to getting older, and that's not getting older, and that's dying young. So what's the alternative? Like, it's far less appealing anyway we're not that old we're only in our mid 40s and that's prime prime but I, I mean apparently we've got we're not even halfway through according to statistics nope. we, yeah we, we've plenty left on the clock my it's been absolutely a pleasure talking to you um good luck with future bottle rocket escapades um you never yeah. know tom might eventually bring you into space on one of those <laughs> spacex rockets if you if we get to live to 90 it's been a pleasure thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us thank you jonathan That's pretty much it from this episode of That Gut Feeling, the podcast series Raising Awareness and Importance of Gut Health with me, Jonathan Healy. That is sponsored by Alpharex. My thanks to Maya Dunphy for joining us. And don't forget, you can listen to and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Join me next time for more on That Gut Feeling.